We've been as a church looking at how we go deeper in our relationship with God, and um, we've we've been looking at this passage from Second Peter chapter one, verse three. It says, "His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness." What it's saying is that God has already given us everything that we need for life. Life in all its fullness. John 10.10 says, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. And his divine power, that's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that created the world. The same power that Jesus used to perform his miracles. Through that power, he's given you and me everything we need. So it's like before we were even born, God looked at me and said, Pastor David, I'm going to give you all the things you're ever going to need And I'm going to put it in a room for you, and it's there. It's yours. So all I need to do is access it. It's like setting it aside, isn't it? It's like at home, if you had a room where everything you ever needed was for the whole of your life was in that room. You just literally have to open the door, walk in, go pick up what you need, and walk out with it, right? So that's what the Bible says God has done for you and me. The question then is, well, then how do I access that? If he's given that to me, that's great. But how do I get to that? And so he carries on in this passage. He says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. He said it's his promises that he gives us in his word that gives us the access to that room. Everything he has given for you and me, we can access it by the promises of God. And where do you find the promises of God? In the scriptures. So the more you know your scriptures the more you can access what he's already set aside for you. The more you know those promises and you claim those promises, the more you can access it. So it's like when we're going to stand before God one day, everybody needs to do that. That's not an option. That's what God says is going to happen. He's going to show you all the things he set aside for you that you never bothered to claim. And you might stand there and say, hey, God, my life wasn't fair. This wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. And God's going to show you that room and say, Hey, the answer was waiting for you right there. Why didn't you just go pick it up? What are you going to say? He said, I gave you the means to do it, my promises. You claim those promises, you use those promises, then you can have access to it. So we're not going to be able to stand before God and say, nothing's fair. Because he's already given us everything we need for an abundant life. We gain it through his promises. But promises without relationship are nothing. We know that. You, you all know people that just make promises to you, do you? You know they're never going to keep them when they make them. Do you know people like that? They make promise after promise after promise. You know, I hope you guys weren't like that this morning when I said about free babysitting, right? You know, but you know people that, and you just go, well, they say it all the time. It never happens. When I actually call in on that promise, it's a waste of time. Because there's no relationship there. There's no depth to that relationship. There's no respect in that relationship. And so God says, you know what? You can't just go to him and say, hey, your Bible says this. I want to claim that promise and this promise and this promise. He said there needs to be a relationship. And how do you grow in that relationship? It says this, add to your faith, goodness. Goodness is faith in action. Add to your goodness, knowledge. Knowledge is seeing the world through God's eyes. 
Add to your knowledge, self-control. Self-control are the kind of barriers, if you like, that help us to continue to do the good things and stop us doing the the bad things. To self-control, we add perseverance. Perseverance is like flourishing during hard times in your life. Perseverance, you add godliness. Godliness is thinking and, and acting and being, having the character of God in your life. Loving as God loves. Doing as God does. Hating what he hates. Being as he is. That's godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. That's filial kind of love. That's brotherly kind of love that you share together. And to mutual affection, you add love, which is agape, sacrificial love that we see in Jesus on the cross. That's how you grow deeper with God. But from there, we've been looking at, well then, what do we do with this? How do we go on from this? And we've been looking at habits Seven habits of highly effective believers. You know, anybody read that Stephen Covey book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective? Yeah, you know that. There are seven habits. If you want to be an effective believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't just happen. You can't do that sitting on your sofa or watching sports. It doesn't happen. There's things you have to put in your life to make it a reality. And the first thing we looked at last week is that you have to read and obey God's Word. If you do not read God's Word, if you are not systematic about understanding it and reading it through and putting it into practice, then you're never going to be effective as a believer in Jesus Christ. We looked at that last week. That's number one. You need to read it every day, just a little bit, just, and, and let, it, let it go into your, into your system. Feed on it. Otherwise, you're never going to grow. It's never going to happen. So I want to go on to number two today. Number two is that we need to have an active prayer life. You need to have an active prayer life. Now, psychologists have done some studies. They studied the effects of prayer, people who pray regularly, on their lifestyles. And this is what they found. They found that there are five positive things, five benefits to people of prayer. One, it improves your self-control. Did you know that? The more you pray, the more self-control you will have. They've actually done studies that says, you want to give up alcohol, reduce your alcohol content or your intake, pray more. It's been proven, right? These are not Christian psychologists. This is just fact of studies they've done. They don't know why, but they just say, this is what happens when people pray. More they pray, more self-control. Apparently, it also makes you nicer. Turn to the person next to you say, I wish you were nicer. Right? They need to pray more. Apparently, prayer makes you nicer. Don't ask me how they measure that, but that's true. Makes you less angry, less nasty. So if you're in a relationship with anybody and they're a bit grumpy, just tell them to go pray. Right? And they'll come back nice. Or at least a little bit nicer than when they left you, Okay? Number two. Number three, it makes you more forgiving. You pray for someone, you're more likely to forgive them. It's very hard. I don't know if you found this. I find this all the time. It's really hard to pray blessing into somebody's life when you're really mad at them. It's really hard. You can't. Why? Because you recognize what God has done for you. Number four, it increases trust. When you pray with someone, 
you trust them more. That's why it's great to get couples praying together. The trust level between them will increase and increase and increase the more you can pray together. So get couples, if you're going out with someone, if you're married to someone, pray together. You know, if you can't do that regularly because that's not your kind of lifestyle or whatever, at least do it when, when you're facing issues and problems. Say, hey, let's just pray about this together. It'll increase the trust that you have. And number five, it offsets the, the uh, negative health effects of stress. You worry less when you pray. If you're a worrier, pray more. That's what it says. But I'm going to look today at what the Bible says about some of the benefits of having an active life of prayer. I heard about a man who went into a bar and he brought a glass of beer and he looked at the beer, he picked it up off the counter and he went like that and threw it into the bartender's face. Then he quickly grabbed a, a napkin and he helped the bartender dry his face and he apologized and he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. He says, I have this kind of strange compulsion to do this. I try and fight it, but I don't know what to do about it. And the bartender looked at him as he was wiping all this beer off his face and he said, you better do something about your problem, mate. Because I can tell you right now that I will never serve you another drink in this bar until you go and get some help. Well, he didn't see the guy for quite a few months, and then the guy came back in, and he said to the same bartender, I'd like a pint of beer, please. And the bartender looked at him, and he said, I've been to see a psychiatrist, and the problem's been solved. And so he got him and pulled him a pint of beer, put the drink down. And the man picked up the glass, looked at it, and then threw it straight in his face. He said, I thought you said you were cured. He said, I am. I still do the throwing of the beer, but I don't feel guilty about it anymore. The first thing is that an active life of prayer enables us to receive grace and forgiveness. All of us need to be forgiven by God. All of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But prayer is the way in which we can claim that forgiveness and that grace from God. Hebrews 4 says this in verse 14 and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we pray, we go into God's arena. We go to where He is. We meet with Him. And when we go there, we don't have to go with fear and trembling. We go with confidence, as it says in Hebrews, because we know that if we truly are sorry for what we do, that God will forgive us. The first thing about an active life of prayer is that you're constantly being forgiven, that you're constantly being freed, that you don't have this weight on your shoulder. How many of you live with regrets? Anybody? 
then where's forgiveness in that? Because the forgiveness of God, I know only a few people put their hands up, but I know all of us do. You're just not confident in case someone else sees you. How many of us look back and think, oh, I wish I'd done that, you know? But forgiveness and mercy means that we don't have to keep looking back, but that we can look forwards. Because God has dealt with it. We don't carry it with us. We can lay it down and receive the mercy and the grace. Grace is that forgiveness from God. He says, forget it. You don't need to carry this for the rest of your life. Leave it. Put it down. There may be consequences to it. Don't get me wrong. But you don't have to carry that guilt inside of you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. And when we pray, when we have an active prayer life, we constantly are going to him and saying, Jesus, I messed up again. Forgive me. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. And we get rid of all the baggage that we keep on storing up and keep on loading on ourselves. And we say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with guilt. Guilt is rubbish, isn't it? I can't see any use of guilt at all. Keep saying in this church, we don't do guilt here. Because if we, guilt is opposite to forgiveness. If you've got guilt in your life, then you haven't, you haven't laid it down. You haven't said, you know, like, Lord, just take this from me. I don't want to feel like this anymore. That's why you came and died. Let me lay it down. Let me not carry it anymore. Do that when you have an active prayer life. And you'll feel so much freer. Yeah, you'll keep on messing up. Of course we all will. But we just keep laying it down and moving on. As I said, God said we want life in all its fullness. He doesn't want us weighed down with heavy burdens to carry. Leave it alone. I want you to do something right now. I want everybody to stand in silence. And I want you to go and find somebody that you do not know. Okay? Just in silence. Trust me in this, all right? It won't be that bad, honestly. Just go find someone and go face them. Somebody you don't know. You might have to move to do this. You recognize that. Somebody you don't know, just go find someone. You'll be back in your seat in a minute, okay? If you can't move, somebody will come to you. You know each other. No? Okay, that's fine. Okay, in silence, by the way. Okay. Now, what I want you to do, okay, I've got my watch here. For 30 seconds, I want you to stare at one another, right? In silence, preferably without laughing if you can manage it, because otherwise they just get a bit self-conscious. But just stare at one another for 30 seconds, starting from now. Okay, that's 30 seconds. That was the longest 30 seconds of your life, wasn't it? Right, okay, I'm finished yet.
Okay, what did you learn about each other? Huh? Not really a great deal. Okay, now, the person that's closest to this wall over here, on my, on my left over here, you've got 30 seconds to just share whatever you want to share about yourself to the other person. They're going to listen. And then after 30 seconds, the other person's going to share whatever they want to share about themselves to you. Okay? First, so the person nearest this wall over here goes first. You ready? Steady? Go. Okay, stop. Right, ready for the other person? Ready to go? Go. Okay, stop. I gave that side a point eight of a second longer. I'm sorry about that. Okay, so what did you learn about one another when you were talking? More than when you were just staring at each other? Yes. So you now know something about each other, right? Okay, you can go back to your, your seats. Or you can stay with your newfound friend if you want to, okay? The second thing that an active prayer life does is it brings us into fellowship with God. You can't know very much about anybody unless you talk to them. True? You can stare at them all you like, and all you can see is their hair or lack of it, depending on who they are. You know, what they look like, and you get a few bits and pieces. But when you actually talk to them and you listen to them, you have a conversation with them, you learn so much more about them in the same amount of time. And it's the same in our relationship with God. An active prayer life is one that not only listens to God, but it shares ourselves with God. Now, God knows everything there is to know about us. Psalm 139 says that. Knows when we sit, when we rise, perceive our thoughts from afar, so on. But how we learn about God is not just through his word, but also through prayer, through communication. What kind of life are you going to have with God or am I going to have with God if I never stop and listen, if I never stop and share? I'm not sharing with God when I talk to God about myself things he doesn't already know. But it's about having that relationship and listening to his voice speaking into my life as well as me speaking to him. You cannot grow a relationship with God unless you spend that time in prayer. Unless you listen and you share. And you just get out your, all those things that are inside of you. And you listen to his response just in the same way that you shared with one another. That's the second thing. It brings us into fellowship with God. Whoops. John 4, 23, 24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The third thing 
is this. First, it enables us to receive grace and forgiveness. It brings us into fellowship with God. And it enables the flow of peace. In Colossians 3.15 and in John 14.27. I think I got it up there. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, Jesus said. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When you pray, when you have an active prayer life, it opens the channels inside of you to receive that peace from God. He doesn't want you and me to live stressed lives. He wants us to live lives full of his inner peace. And prayer is the channel by which that peace can come into your life. There may be chaos in your life. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about that that inner calmness, that inner peace within you, that even when you face problems, inside you are not stressed, inside you are not worried, inside you are not panicking about what you're facing because you have that peace of God inside. It's that peace that took Jesus through the cross where he kept his call. He was able to just be who he needed to be in that moment of extreme anguish and agony. I want you to do something where you're sitting. Just close your eyes. Don't nod off. Just close your eyes. But I want you to think of something, some problem that you have in your life. You're not going to tell anybody. It's just for you. Just think about it. Some problem that you're facing in your life. Something that's giving you anxiety and worry. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take a big, deep breath out. And as you do that, think about that problem just going in prayer up to Jesus. Just blow it out. Just go. And when you breathe in, Breathe in the peace of God that he wants to bring into your heart. So breathe out your problem and your worry and your stress. Breathe in the peace of God that he longs to give you. Just spend a few moments, just a couple of seconds doing that. Lord, thank you that you love to bring your peace into our lives. And Lord, we give you all our stresses, all our worries, all our concerns. And we breathe in your peace. Those problems don't go away. But we have an inner calmness to face them with you. We thank you. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Thank you, Jesus. An active prayer life can give you that peace. When you need it, just stop. Be still and know that he's God. Breathe out your problem your stresses, your anxieties, breathe in his peace. 
It enables you to receive grace and forgiveness. It brings you into fellowship with God. It enables the flow of peace. Number four, it sets your perspectives in the right place. In Colossians, let me read you a poem first. Came across this little prayer. It said this, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray that my Amani suit will keep. I pray that my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise, that all the wine I sip is white and that my hot tub's watertight, that playing squash won't get too tough and that all my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my iPhone 8 still works and that my career won't lose its perks. My microwave won't radiate, my penthouse suite won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. And if I go broke before I wake, I pray my Land Rover they won't take. Amen. Prayer helps us to see things from God's perspective. You always hear when somebody goes through a crisis situation in life, don't you? Somebody has cancer. Somebody faces a massive crisis, a redundancy, whatever it is. They reassess the important things in life. I know people that have been near to death and they come back and their whole life has changed because that moment they found what's really important in life and what is peripheral. What prayer can do for us is that it helps us to see the world, see things through God's perspective, to make sure that the priorities and the things that are important are really the important things. And the peripheral things stay peripheral. When we pray, the more we pray, the more of that perspective from God that we get in our lives. And so it all kind of connects together so that peace becomes more of our peace because we're not worried about the things that other people worry about. We're not concerned about the other things that so many people concern their lives over. We're concerned about the important things in life. And God will help us to keep that perspective flowing throughout our lives. He says it in Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. My son, this week, borrowed the car. Came back after I'd gone to bed. I get a text in the morning. Dad, sorry. It's not a good start, is it? Had a bit of an accident in the car. Quick scroll, 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 scroll. Scratched on the back. So sorry. The scratch is this big on the back of the car. Hardly life-changing and serious. I don't know why you bother wasting a text on it. The car still drives. So it's not gray for about this much. There's a little bit of white showing. Big deal, right? I know people that would go nuts if their car was scratched. And I'm like, it's a car. It's not a human being. It's a car. 
It still drives. Don't worry about it. I've done far worse. When I was in Canada, we had this new car. You know, sometimes when the door doesn't shut properly, a friend of mine, you know what he did? He went boom like that with his backside. Do you know what that door did? There was two concave things right in it. He was like, ah, your new car. Like, I said, the door still opens, man. I can still drive the car. And every time I see it, I think of your backside and I laugh. It's awesome. It's a car in life. And through prayer, you can do that. The more you pray, the more you gain that perspective that God wants you to have. Set your heart on things above. Number five, nearly done. One, grace and forgiveness. Two, fellowship with God. Three, peace. Four, perspective. Number five, it connects us to the power source. God says, I want you to live like this. I want you to do this. I want you to do that, right? But he says it and he gives you the power to do it. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need for life in all its fullness. John 14, it's a bold statement. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That is the boldest statement I've ever seen. You have to understand what that is. It's not a blank check in his name. But what it is, is he's saying, you know what? I'm going to give you the power to do everything that I'm asking you to do. There will be nothing in your life that God asks you to do that he won't give you the power to accomplish and accomplish it well. It's there. It's done. The same power that we talked about earlier that he used to create the universe is the power that he's given to you and me. It's available for us to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. In John 15, he talks about us bearing fruit in the vine and the branches. He's saying, I I want you to bear fruit, and if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to cut you off and throw you out. But I'm going to give you all the power, all the resources that you need to bear the fruit. I'm not going to ask you to do something, set you up for failure. I'm going to set you up to do something that can be successful. And so if he asks you to do a business, you know that that business, he's going to give you everything you need for that business to succeed. If he calls you into ministry, you know he's going to give you everything you need for that ministry to succeed. If he calls you into a marriage, you know that he's going to give you everything you need for that marriage to be successful. If he calls you as a parent, you know he's going to give you everything you need as a parent to be the best parent that you can be. Whatever he calls you to do, he's going to give you, he's promised you the power to make it a success. Right? He never, ever sets you up for failure. Ever. Sometimes, as I said, we don't connect, we don't collect that power. But prayer is the channel by which that power comes through us. You can't do anything unless you are connected to the source. This morning, we had all kinds of trouble with our sound system. Because it's not connected, is it, Ronnie? He should have been playing over there on the keyboard. This keyboard probably start working now. It's on, but nothing. Why not? I don't know. It's not connected somewhere. 
Some wire is not connected somewhere. It's not, it's not working properly. It's not connected to the source. And prayer connects us. If you don't pray, then you're not going to get access. It's all there waiting for you, but you're just not going to receive it because you're not connected in. Prayer connects us and makes us successful in what we accomplish. What God asks for you to accomplish in your life, you will do it through prayer. Last one. It changes me from the inside out. In Galatians 5, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the gifts or the fruits that the Spirit gives to you. I love this because you know what happens through prayer? When I pray, I open my spirit up to the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what he does? He, I allow him through prayer to come in and work his amazing things within me. I change because I pray. I don't change because I try to change. I change. The more I pray, the more I'll change, the more I'll receive the fruits of the Spirit. You show me someone that has the loads of the fruits of the Spirit, I'll show you someone that prays a lot. You show me someone that doesn't have those, I'll show you someone that doesn't pray. Because the more you can't pray without the Spirit coming in, accessing your life and transforming you. And he transforms you in such a way to make you better than you were before. To release within you all the things that make you the person God loves you to be. You know, when God created me or you, he filled us with all this potential, all this beauty, all this amazing opportunity. And we mess it up because things get in the way. But he's constantly working in me to make the original me, if you like, the, the, the best me that can be there, a reality. And every time I pray, I open my spirit up and it gives him free access to come in. It's just like opening a door and saying, come in, Holy Spirit of God, transform me. And he will do that. And he will keep on doing that in your life. Now, I'm sure there are many other ways in which prayer, in fact, I know there are many other ways in which prayer benefits us. Can you remember what they are? Number one is what? See if you've been paying attention today. Otherwise, I'll start all over again. You know that. What was number one? What was it? Brilliant. Grace enables you to receive grace and forgiveness. Number two? Anybody? Fellowship with God. You've saved the rest of the congregation, the two of you. You know that. Number three. Peace. Number four. Perspective. Number five. Power. And number six. Change. You see why it's important to have an active life of prayer? You see why that's why we need to do it? God wants you and me to be effective in these things. Whoops. He says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually. You know what God wants? Let me describe to you a day that he loves. 
You wake up first thing in the morning before you get out of bed, you talk to him. Say, thank you for this new day. Before you, before you even turn to your partner who is snoring next to you loudly, right? Thank you, Jesus, for a new day. I'm just going to give you myself today. Thank you for it. Whatever happens, I know that you're going to be with me. You get out of bed, you go have breakfast, you get going on your day, you're constantly chatting to him. Maybe in the morning before you get out of, you know, you go anywhere, you spend that quality time with him that you set aside. Whatever it is, we talked about that last week. Five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, whatever you can do. Set aside some time where you just say, Lord, I want to share this. But what you do is all through the day, pray continually. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to this now. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to Starbucks to have a cup of coffee. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to meet with so-and-so. This could be tricky. Hey, Jesus, this is going to happen. Hey, Lord, thank you for being with me in that. It went a lot better than I thought it would go. Hey, Jesus, how about, you know, this? Lord, thank you for helping me do that. You just talk to him throughout the day. Just pray continually. Don't stop. And then at the end of the day, you lie down in bed, and before you, the lights go out in your, in your eyes and in your head. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for being with me. Lord, thank you for all the accomplishments today. Thank you. That's how you share your life with Jesus. Do that, and you will become effective for him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all the effectiveness of prayer. There are so many different ways that prayer touches our lives. But you call us to be people of prayer. Pray continually. Not just once a day, not five times a day, but just continue to include you in everything that we do. At work, at home, wherever we are, Lord, you are there anyway. Help us to recognize you. And to just draw that strength and that power that you long to give us. Lord, I pray for everyone here that we may have these six things in our lives. Peace, perspective, power, change, fellowship, and grace and forgiveness when we mess up. Grow us strong in you, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.